folks, welcome back to the Irish NFL show. We have a big guest today on the show, delighted to welcome not one, not two, three-time Super Bowl champion, uh, serving as an assistant to the coaching staff of the Patriots, served as a GM with the Browns, along as a number of different roles, guy that writes with The Athletic, he's got his own podcast, GM Shuffle, loads of different things, but a massive welcome to Michael Lombardi to the, to the Irish NFL show. Michael, welcome in. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. I appreciate being on the Irish show. That's good. I like it. We, should, I, we I don't know why we're not drinking. We should have like a Guinness or something, huh? Well, don't tell me. <laughs> Michael, we, we've asked this of every guest, especially ones that are based in the States, but I think we'll just ask you as well. Any connections to Ireland at all? Have you ever been to Ireland before? Or? No, I've never have. I would love to go. My only connection is my college roommate, who I love to death, is uh, born and raised in Boston. He has a little Irish shamrock on his ass. That might be too much information. <laughs> That's as close as I've come to Ireland as possible. So, you know, so... Yeah, no, I would love to go. I mean, this whole COVID thing has cut travel down a lot, but I would love to do that. I mean, it looks absolutely gorgeous over there. Well, you have four tour guides now for when you do come over, Michael. So uh, you'll get you you'll get a good tour of the pubs. That'd be um, great. As uh, as Michael said in in the intro, you you have worked with some of the the game's greats. Uh, you've won three Super Bowls, but you worked with Walsh, with Belichick, with Al Davis. I suppose any any particular stories that stand out from from your time in the league? I mean, I've been so blessed. I've been so fortunate. I mean, I was in the right place at the right time for a fat kid that grew up in this little beach town called Ocean City to be able to, you know, walk alongside of Coach Walsh and really be my mentor, the guy that taught me to think differently, to think outside the box and to change how I how approaching my career should I say so and then I was able to go with coach Belichick at, at a very very you know infantile stage of our careers and we could branch together and then a lot of that was formulated by Al's vision and Al's uh, philosophy and then I was able to work with Al once that occurred so you know uh, you know I the, the the education of the three men has been endless it's you know coach Walsh is in my life Pretty much every day I could hear something that he would say to me that would resonate. And, you know, obviously Belichick has shaped who I am as a person in terms of when it comes to football and how to build a team and team building. You know, when you first start in personnel, you know, you hear chemistry and you think, you know, like I didn't study chemistry in college. I don't know. You know, what are you talking about? Well, Belichick explained what chemistry is, team building and all those things. And I think that I owe a great debt of gratitude to him for that. Michael, I suppose it was a formality that the additional week would be added to the, to the season, uh, starting from next season. We've seen this week some players, despite the CBA being signed in March last year, been a bit disgruntled and coming out on social media about having to play the additional game. Two things that I thought of during the week was how teams now will prepare. Whilst it sounds like just one game, it's, it's a lot more than just one game in the sense of a season. How teams will prepare in, in training camp and then Cold weather teams, are they going to have the advantage come January with the extra week in terms of playing home games that they're so yeah. used to doing? I mean, the, 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 think about this. The ice bowl, the famous ice bowl that was played in Lambeau Field, minus 13 degree temperature when Bart Starr snuck over the one inch line to win the game. Uh, that was played December 31st, 1967, and it was minus 13 degrees then. So imagine how cold it could be in Green Bay in the end of January or the beginning of February. So 
teams like Green Bay, if you're if you're the Detroit Lions and you traded for Jared Goff and you know he's not a very good player in cold weather, you got to be scared as hell to think about going into Chicago or going into Green Bay in January in a must-win situation, knowing that Goff's probably going to be looking where the heaters are. You know, so that's that worries you. But I, I think this in terms, let's go back to player and player safeties. We can't take this lightly. But the reality of this is if at the end of the season, it's not how many games you've played or started. It's how many plays you played. So let's say you played a thousand plays last year. All right. So you played a thousand plays the next year. I don't want you to play 2000. I'm not going to play to play 1100. I want you to play a thousand, even though we may have 17 games, I still need to have you play a thousand plays because what I noticed is that I watched you play those thousand plays. You might not have been as effective for 300 of them. So I think we get so caught up in the number of games. It has nothing to do with the number of games. It has everything to do with the number of plays. The number of plays matters most. And if you're a smart coach and football is a very mathematical business, right? There's only, there's so many plays in a game. There's so many reps in practice. How do we divide all that? So for, for a good coach a co- like Belichick or a good coach like Pete Carroll, somebody, they're going to sit down and say, okay, you know, player Y played 800 plays last year and he played all 16 games. Let's keep him at 800 or less. How do we do that? We have to have depth. We have to rotate. I think that's the approach. Um, and Michael, that might be even more difficult with still a 53-man roster. So Bill Belichick's favorite love of players that can do everything in different roles becomes even more relevant in that regard. Um, Michael, look, I'm a Patriots fan. It's almost killing me not to just interrogate you at length about Bill Belichick, to be honest with you, or or indeed maybe about center play because you were a long snapper at Hofstra and Belichick at center <laughs> at Wesleyan. So I feel sorry for the centers when the two of you were together at the Browns and, and <laughs> Patriots, to be honest. But, you know, you've had such a career, you know, through scouting, through pro personnel, through GM, as, as Mike alluded to there as well. And one thing that strikes me is we've had Ryan Leaf on the show and he was very open about his mental flaws, if you like, or his preparation as a young man. And we've seen it recently with Isaiah Wilson, obviously the first rounder by the Titans, who's messed up his second chance with the Dolphins there. You know, we're talking about young men getting life changing sums of money and life changing opportunities, and some just don't adapt to it well. And I'm just wondering, like, in all your years, like, has there ever been some player? that's particularly surprised you or disappointed you or surprised you in a positive way that you're kind of going, Hey, I don't know if this kid's got it, but then they pull it together and they've got that mental aptitude to adapt. You know, I, I mean, that's a really fair question. It's a good question. I think this, uh, you know, the hardest thing to do in scouting today is, is evaluate a player's character because as you grow older, the player that you're trying to evaluate is generationally different than when you grew up. And so, uh, and so you've got to understand the environment. You've got to understand his upbringing. You've got to understand the, the, the choices he was faced with in his life. And it's easy for you to look at it as a 61-year-old white guy to try to evaluate a 19-year-old African-American in a city uh, and try to evaluate. That's really challenging to do, right? So you you really need to stop thinking it, seeing it through your eyes and kind of evaluate it through their eyes and dig information. I mean, the key to scouting is to never begin with the end in mind. And so when I first started in scouting, 
you know, coaches were relatively forthcoming with their information about the player. But since HIPAA laws have come into place in America, since colleges rely so much on word recruiting, they don't, I don't want to say they lie to you. They don't tell you the, the, the whole story or the right story. And so it's imperative upon you to dig deeper and to find out. And past performance predicts future achievement. And so you have to really examine a player's past and what was going on and what happened in his life. And maybe, you know, did he have a learning issue? Did he have, was he not, was he not in the right environment? Those are different things. And I think you can't be so quick to judge today. You know, if you want to get mad at players for being on social media today, you're not going to have anybody left on your draft board. So you've got to understand how to integrate that in. And then you also can't compromise what you want to do with in terms of your own team building. Michael, um, you were quite vocal with the Broncos last year, potentially you know, going to trade a quarterback last year. You, you think you mentioned that on a show in February. Just your opinion there on the situation in Denver at the minute with Drew Locke. Do you think they would consider uh, a quarterback if, if one was to fall at that number nine spot? Do you think they might go up or do you think they might trade down? And also a lot of talk this week about Sam Darnold. Do you think that is in play at all? Or you know, what, what's his trade value as the draft gets closer? I think, look, I, I think that George Payton, the new general manager, knows that he's got a really good team that lacks a quarterback, right? I mean, he knows that. I, I, I mean, John Elway, you know, drafted Locke, and I'm sure John's ego's bruised quite a bit from not being able to solve the, the quarterback problems. I mean, since he's been the general manager, other than the Peyton Manning era, they haven't solved the quarterback issue. And I'm sure that bothers John. And I think he wants to hang on to Drew. I thought they had Drew traded. Uh, midway, you know, early part of free agency, and they they slept on it over a weekend and they backed away. But look, I, I think George Payton's a really good personnel guy, and I think he knows what to do. I think they're all in on trying to find a quarterback. I think they're all in, and I think they're concerned that now that San Francisco's at three, that the choices of quarterbacks could be down to two guys, right? It could be either Justin Fields or it could be Trey Lance, assuming that Mac Jones goes three. So I do expect them to heat up into the Sam Darnold business because the Jets have been going to take Zach Wilson and everybody knows it. So, look, I think if they got there, if you put I, I, I would even say if you put if you put Derek Carr on the Broncos, I think the Broncos could compete with the Chiefs. If you put a good quarterback on the Broncos. Uh, and I think Carr's a good quarterback. I don't think Carr's a top five quarterback, but I think Carr's a top 10, top 12 quarterback. I think if you put somebody like that, if Jimmy Garoppolo were in there, I think they could be a good team. You know, they have they have good running backs. I mean, I really liked Philip Lindsay a lot. He must have been hurt for them because I thought he could change the field position. But, you know, with Royce Friedman and they signed Michael Boone, I think that they that in the defensively, if Von Miller comes back to Von Miller – not Von Miller 19, Von Miller 18, then I think they have a really good chance. We've already, I suppose, mentioned that, you know, you, you worked with some of the greats, but Bill Belichick called you one of the smartest people he's worked with. And I watched a, a fantastic TED talk you gave about leadership. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, your own thoughts on, on what makes a great leader? You know, I, I was so lucky that, that when Coach Walsh, I was driving, as I wrote about in Gridiron Genius, I, I used to drive Coach Walsh around during the 80s when there wasn't any satellite radio 
when there wasn't uh, car phones. And so it was just me and him, you know, this fat kid from New Jersey and this professor from California. And so who happened to be, I'm deaf in my right ear. So it was challenging for me to drive and turn my head to listen to him. But I got to ask him a lot of questions. And, and, and he would ask me some questions. And he said to me one day, do you know anything about Tom Peters? And I thought he was talking about a punter from North Dakota. And I said, no, coach. He said, well, he just wrote a book with Bob Waterman uh, called In Search of Excellence. And you should go buy that book. Go to the Stanford bookstore. Go buy it. Read it. That changed my life. I have that book on my bookshelf today, signed by Tom Peters, uh, because it changed my life, because it it brought me into a generation to understand leadership. And so from Peters through Warren Bennis through Peter Drucker, I learned there's four qualities, which I talk about in the TED Talk of leadership, management of attention, have a plan, management of meaning, explain your plan, management of the process, you know, and then management of self, right? So management of trust is the process, how the players are going to trust you, are going to develop the process, and then management of self, how are you going to be critical? And to be a great coach, to be a great leader, you have to be really good in three of the four areas. If you're only good in two of them, and there's a lot of coaches that are only good in two of them, they go up and down. They just go up and down. If you're good in all four, you're going to be great. If you're good in three of the four, you're going to be good too. Belichick is good in all four. Coach Walsh was good in all four. And so that to me is the template. I think we make a huge mistake here in the National Football League in talking about in talking about scheme and football instead of talking about leadership. If we had the Jim Brown Center for Leadership in Poughkeepsie, New York, let's say, and the NFL funded it, and we sent every candidate there to train them, minority candidates, women, everybody, to train them on leadership, we would have more leaders, more head coaches that were good head coaches. So that's, what that's to me, what it's all about. Michael, we're, we're a few weeks removed, I suppose, from the, the craziness of the, the first week of um, free agency in terms of all the activity that goes on. With, with the reduced cap this year, is there any teams that you feel – you were impressed with in terms of what they did in, I suppose, reevaluate and then obviously picking up players. I mean, I, I thought, you know, Denver did some nice things. I mean, they re-signed Justin Simmons, right? They get Kyle Fuller to come in. They get Ronald Darby. They help their secondary out. Now they got to come through with some defensive linemen. But I thought it was, a, you know, it was a, a truly a, a buyer's market, right? One of the things you could say, and it's easy to say the Patriots overspent. I think Belichick would tell you, yeah, we overspent. However, the reason it's not as bad as it would be is because there was no competition in his overspending, right? If they overspent. But it had it been a normal uncapped year where the cap went up 25 million, there would have been more competition for some of the players they got. So they would have probably overspent by another 20%. So, you know, obviously I think the Jets improved their team. Jacksonville's made improvements to their team. But, you know, a lot of this has got to come together when you look at the draft and when you see, you know, where, you know, where everybody is and, and how everything fits together. I thought Cincinnati actually did a good job. You know, they get some offensive linemen in there. They help their defense. You know, we'll see where we go. Buffalo, you know, resigned Milano, which I thought they needed to do. So I, I think there's some and, and there's some teams that have made significant moves. Washington, for example, I think getting William Jackson's really good. They get him a legit corner. You know, they get Curtis Samuel, a receiver. Now, all of a sudden, if their left tackle can hold up, I think Washington will be one of those teams that trades two draft picks to get up in the draft to try to get in front of Denver, to try to get in front of Carolina to get a quarterback. 
Dare I ask who you weren't impressed with? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, look, I didn't like the Giants of Dory Jackson signing. I made a point on that. I mean, here's a guy that has touched seven passes. <laughs> the dog doesn't like the DNA. <laughs> now the dog, Bella, Bella's not a big fan of, of Dory. I love the Dory Jackson coming out of college. I thought he was a playmaker. I thought he was a four down player. What do I mean by four down player? I thought he could impact three downs on defense and then the kicking game. So, but he has not played like that. He's missed two years of football. He's only touched seven passes. So I thought they overspent for him. I really did. I thought that was really, for what he's done the last two years, I didn't think he deserved that contract, right? So I wasn't overly impressed with that. I don't really know if Houston improved their team. They spent a lot of money on a lot of backup players, but have they gotten any better? I think that's the question mark I would ask, you know? Uh, I think Pittsburgh's taking a lot of heat. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to be struggling because they had to sign Ben back. And then, of course, Chicago. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they got Andy Dalton playing quarterback. I mean, is that going to really help them? You know, you, you've turned all this stuff in. Is that going to make a difference? We'll see. Well, Mike, Mike, we've talked about on our show the fact that Chicago have never really had a good quarterback. When you consider Jay Cutler as their franchise leader in most aspects, they've probably never had that height. It does sound like your dog is a Giants fan, though, because he didn't like you, um, Slayton and Dolly Jackson. There, so Bella, Bella would never go against me. She's too loyal. I, you know, she's Italian. Bella's from Bologna, Italy, so she would never go against me. She roots for the Patriots because my son works there, and she roots for the Panthers because my other son works there. So she, she, blood is thicker than water with Bella. And and I was actually going to ask you about that because, as you say, both your sons are in the NFL. They're in coaching as opposed to scouting and obviously pro personnel where you were. Uh, Matt's assistant QB coach for the Panthers and Nick Lombardi is, of course, a wide receivers coach for the Patriots. Now, both of them might have interesting seasons ahead because we've already alluded to the Pat Splurge and a couple of new wide receivers for Mick to work with. But the Panthers are definitely in play, surely, to try and maybe take another quarterback in this draft. I'm just curious. I mean, do they ever reach out to you and kind of say, well, dad, what, what do you think about this? Are there any scouts and inputs they can give them? Or do they just kind of go, I don't want to hear from you, dad. I, I, I know my players. Leave, leave them alone type of thing. No, I think, I think we're, we're all, uh, you know, we all share information. And I learn from them as much as I try to help them. You know, and, and like any father, I want them to be successful and whatever I could do to help them. I, I try to do that. So, you know, I, I, I try to have that. The reason they're coaching is because that's what I really wanted them to do. I wanted them to be able to control their own destiny. I feel like in personnel, it's too much of, I like that guy. I didn't like that guy, but there's no facts to it. There's no facts based to it. So I think that you have to, uh, you know, coaching, you can control, put this tape on, I'm coaching this player on this and you can see it. So, you know, we try to exchange information as best I can to help them. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fully supportive of their careers. I'm, I'm really rooting for them. And if they ask me something, I tell them. Michael, um, obviously big news this week for international NFL fans with the prospect of games in Germany, Canada, Brazil, and games in London. It looks as if there's going to be a reduction in games in London if the Jaguars don't agree to the new Wembley deal. Uh, obviously with NFL owners meetings this week, have you heard anything or are you aware, you know, Will that change or there's been no talk already about any games abroad this season. Uh, do you feel that the NFL may just stay in the U.S. this year? 
I think a lot of it has to do with COVID. I don't know how you guys are doing with COVID. If you're getting the shots, if everybody, we're doing good here in America. I mean, I've been vaccinated, so we're we're getting where we're getting the shots in people's arms. Johnson and Johnson shot came out two weeks ago, which is, you know, not it's not going to it's good. It's it's about seventy percent of stopping uh, you from getting COVID, but it, it it'll keep you. It's one hundred percent of keeping you out of the hospital and keeping you from dying, which is critical, right? So uh, I think there's too much uncertainty, especially you know we saw that Italy went back under again. I don't know what it's like in Ireland or London and England. So I think until that gets cleared up, but I do think with the labor agreement as long as it is and games being seventeen games, I think you're going to be an expansion of of games all over Europe. I really do. In future years, maybe not next year. Well, uh, that that'll be music to fans' ears o- over here, certainly. Um, now, I suppose last week we we saw probably the, the biggest draft trade since the the Jets and the Colts in in twenty eighteen, um, with the the Forty ers moving up to to three. Um, I, I suppose two two part question. One with with a, a GM hat on. What did you think of it in terms of the capital they gave up? And two. You know, a lot of people are mentioning Trey Lance. I've seen you talk about, you know, how you feel it's much more likely to be Matt Jones given the Shanahan's. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that, Michael? I, I wrote a column about it today. I think, you know, I think one of the problems in the NFL uh, when you evaluate quarterbacks is there's uh, it's a challenging position. Bill Walsh told me very few people can coach the quarterback and even fewer can evaluate them. And it's really true. And when you just look at this trade on the landscape, uh, and and if you just do some history before it, since 2015, there have been 20 quarterbacks picked in the first round. When Sam Darnold gets traded in the next two weeks, nine of those quarterbacks won't even be on the same team. It's five years. And over half of them won't even be on the same team. Paxton Lynch is on, he's been on four teams. So the point here is, is that very few people know it. We have too many people involved in a decision. There's a theory in business that says if you get a lot of smart people in a room, you'll make smart decisions. Well, that's really not true because some people are smart in certain areas and their expertise is in the area you need them in. And so I think with the 49ers, they have a quarterback expert in Kyle Shanahan. He knows what he wants. He has no, 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 uh, way that he's going to take something that he doesn't want it's clear to him it's really he's truly a leader he has management of attention and he can explain what he wants and he went and got it what he wanted at the third pick now they could say we'll take whoever we want at three they didn't trade up for just you know let's see what potluck this isn't a potluck dinner at the, at the catholic church that they went up to three to get exactly who they thought they could get and i'm sure we're going to find out who it is and that quarterback will fit exactly who Kyle Shanahan wants it to be and how he's going to handle it. And from there, you know, the the success of that pick will be determined by Kyle. That is a way to get it done. So they paid a lot, but they had an expert. And the column I wrote, it's really about having somebody who's an expert helping you make. It's not about having a lot of people make it. It's about having an expert make the pick because the coach who coaches them, has got to make him a good player. Just like I'm sure Frank Wright's going to make Carson Wentz a lot better player this year than he was last year. I have no doubt about that. Like I have no doubt about that. Frank Wright will make Carson Wentz a better player. Carson Wentz is going to be desperate to become a better player. A lot of it has to do with being in the right situation. 
That's where Sam Darnold comes in. Is he been in the right situation? Has he gotten coached the most? I think that's the issue. Um, Carson will also be happy that he has a good offensive line in front of him next year as well, rather than when right. he's in Philadelphia. Um, I suppose last year, Zach Wilson was in a three-way tie with in, in BYU to be the starting quarterback. A year later, he's going to be the number two pick in the draft. For the past two months, Mac Jones in every mock draft was in the round 12 to 15, potentially going to the <laughs> Patriots. And here he is now, in all likelihood, going to go at three. Is there any player floating under the radar that you can see going a lot a lot uh, sooner in the fourth round that people aren't expecting? Uh, not at the quarterback. I think Kyle Trask got to pass some physicals first. Out, you know? Outside I the think, quarterback. Sorry, Michael. Oh, a guy at the quarterback? I think Kyle Pitts might be the best player in the whole draft. You know, I think the left tackle from Oregon could be one of the best players in the draft too. So you get those two kids, you get somebody like that. I think Makai Parsons could be one of the best players in the draft. This draft has got some really talented players in it, but you know, the quarterbacking is really about understanding what you need and bringing the player in that can do exactly what you want them to do. That's what makes successful quarterbacks. You know, everybody, look, Mac Jones is, it, it's so much a perception, right? You know, Tua, Tua's great. Well, Max played better than Tua. And people say, well, Tua's, you know, Tua was great. He went four. Everybody says Max better than Tua. Why wouldn't Tua? Why, why should Mac? Why should Mac take be less than four if, if he's better than Tua? Walsh used to say this all the time. We make them what they are. They don't make. They don't come out of their mothers saying I'm a 15th pick overall in the draft. Like we make them what they are. You know, it's what we pick them. And then really more than anything, and this is the creed of the Patriots. This is the creed, and it started in Cleveland, but it really started in San Francisco in those car rides. It doesn't matter where we pick them. It matters how they play. And that's the essence of it. We spend so much time focusing on where we pick them and we forget about where we play. You ask Mel Kuyper. It's all he talks about. I would have picked that guy 12. No, I would have picked him at 18. No. How about if we revisit it three years from now? Where would you have picked them? Yeah. Great, great point, Michael. And, and this year, I mean, I think it's 1999. There were five quarterbacks taken in the first 12 picks. And this year might break that record the way things are going. And we'll, we'll see what it looks like in three years' time. As as we are, as you said, a lot of quarterbacks already gone from this year, uh, from three years previously, sorry. Um, can I just, finally, I just want to ask you one other question. You mentioned that Cleveland staff and, and obviously super talented staff, you know, San Fran super talented staff probably up there in the all-star cast of all time. I think of the giant staff in the eighties as well with Coughlin and uh, Belichick on with Parcells, but Bill Belichick has stood out quite a bit. Everyone thinks of him as this gruff, non-compromising kind of coach, but you know, being a dedicated Patriots fan, I know he's a bloody funny guy as well. And I just wonder, is there any particular incident that stands out for you where, I don't know, Belichick's maybe surprised someone or, made you laugh in the circumstances where it's uh, pretty stressful and pretty tight there in the uh, pressure cooker of the NFL. Uh, I mean, I think Bill's one of those guys that is funny without trying to be funny, you know, and he, he has a great sense of humor, uh, you know, and, and he's very, very uh, self, uh, you know, he's self-critical, you know, I screw that up or I fucked that up or, you know, that's, and, you know, it's really easy to have that conversation with him. And so, you know, for me, it was it's always been a delightful conversation to have with him when we talk about football, because the exchange, you know, and 
and we, you know, we laugh about certain things and, you know, and, and we talk about the, the, you know, the Cleveland staff and some of the things that went on there. So, I mean, you know, you have to know Bill. And then once you know Bill, you appreciate his humor, his humor on the outside. If you tell people the stories, and this is like Al Davis, you tell them the stories. They're so crazy that people like they don't even believe you. You know, but once you get to, if you know them, you, they, they make a lot of sense and they're very funny. Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, mean, we, I think we've covered enough bases there. I know it's open to any MLB type of recording, so we'll not keep you too much longer. Michael, it's been fantastic. Uh, you're welcome at any time and, and thanks a million for your time, man. Thank you so much. Sign up for the Daily Coach. It's, a, it's an email newsletter. You can subscribe to it. Uh, it it's free. All it takes is uh, you just go to uh, dailycoach underscore dot com and, and every day you get an email in your email box to help you become a better person. Fantastic. Do it, folks. Michael, thanks a million, man. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys.